Two rookies finished in the top three in rookie of the year voting last season. Could it happen again on offense and defense for the Seahawks in 2023? Dallas Cooper and I will be discussing on our Blue Friday installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for Blue Friday by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We are drawing closer to training camp five weeks away, roughly, from the beginning of the 2023 season. Players going to the VMAC, rookies first, and then the veterans coming in. It's an exciting time. We have to wait a little bit, but we are going to continue to preview things leading up to the 2023 season with Forecast Friday. We've got two players today, Tyler Lockett and Draymond Jones, looking back at their 2022 seasons and what expectations should be for both players going into the new campaign. Jam-packed episode is coming your way courtesy of Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash NFL, and they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Last season, the Seahawks enjoyed success for one of their best draft classes in franchise history, not just in the John Schneider or Pete Carroll era, but franchise history, and that rookie class was a big reason why the Seahawks were able to surprise many and make the playoffs with a nine-win season. They had two of those rookies finish in the top three in Rookie of the Year voting. Ken Walker the third finishing second behind Garrett Wilson on offense, and Tariq Woolen finishing third on the defensive side of the ball with Sauce Gardner and Aiden Hutchinson finishing ahead of him. It was a historic season. The Seahawks had never had two rookies on offense and defense finishing the top three in voting as they did last year. And though neither one of them won, certainly it was a memorable year for last year's draft class. And going into this season, Dallas, there's a lot of hype about Seattle's 2023 draft class. And understandably so, they got two first-round picks they're very excited about. They had two second-round picks they're really excited about, taking advantage of the last couple picks they got in the Russell Wilson trade. So, of course, our friends at FanDuel – are giving Seahawks rookies some pretty good odds heading into the season to potentially push for Rookie of the Year honors. Let's start on the offensive side of the football. And I don't know about you, but it does feel like this is going to be a year that's going to be a little more tricky for a player like Jackson Smith and Jigba to be able to win this award, not just because of the other receivers Seattle has, but This is a very quarterback-heavy draft class. Last year, that was not the case. You didn't have that elite signal caller, but we know that that is a sexy position that wins this award most of the time when you have elite quarterbacks, and there are some really good young ones coming in as part of this group. That's going to make it tough for players like Smith and Jigba and Zach Charbonnet to be able to compete for this award this year. Let's not also forget they did have a lot of quarterbacks three quarterbacks going in the top four picks. But yeah. there's also Bijan Robinson of Atlanta, who's getting talked about getting snaps at not just running back, but also wide receiver. 
So that's going to be very difficult as well with the amount of touches that he's probably going to be getting in that Atlanta offense. But this Seattle, for the odds that they have Zach Charbonnet and Jackson Smith in the Jigba, Zach Charbonnet at number nine is very interesting. Him having the same odds as Will Levis and Rasheed Rice, it's very interesting as Charbonnet is going to be competing with Walker. As you said, Corbin, Walker had number two in rookie of the year voting last year, nearly won it. And Charbonnet is going to come back and is expected to be number nine, while Jigba is going to be at number five. And his odds are actually very similar to Jameer Gibbs, who's another player who's going to be getting a lot of touches in an offense. And Najigba is going to have to compete with not just Lockett, but Metcalf as well. There's a lot of touches to go around on this offense. And how much touches are they going to truly be able to get? Especially when you're comparing them to other rookies in offenses with lesser talent. And those rookies are going to have more said touches. Yeah, that's the other issue you've got here. As I mentioned with Smith and Jigba, you got to deal with all the throws that are going to be going to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and their tight ends. And you mentioned the fact you've now got Ken Walker in the third and Zach Charbonnet. They're going to be running the ball quite a bit. So there's only so many touches to go around, and that's going to make it difficult on its own for Smith and Jigba and certainly for Charbonnet to be able to get any headway in this race. And if a player like Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud has a really strong rookie season, you can forget about winning this award if you're a non-quarterback. That's just the way that it works. Now, if none of these rookies come in and light it up and somebody like Bijan Robinson has 1,500-plus all-purpose yards, scores a bunch of touchdowns, Atlanta maybe sneaks into the playoffs in a wide-open division, then yeah, you can see why he would be the favorite for this award right now. He's got the best odds for Offensive Rookie of the Year because he's going to be the feature piece of that offense. But still, this really feels like it's going to be difficult for a non-quarterback if any of those young QBs come in, start on day one, and impress, put up good numbers, lead their teams to the playoffs. If that happens, if you're a non-QB, you can forget about it. Now, on the flip side, when you look at Defensive Rookie of the Year, we saw last year Sauce Gardner being a top five pick. I do think that that helps the name recognition aspect. That helped him win that award over, say, Tariq Woolen, who got third in voting. Devin Witherspoon's coming in as a top five pick, the highest drafted corner in this draft class, coming in with a lot of hype playing across from Tariq Woolen. And Derek Hall, he's at plus 4,000 for odds. And that might not seem great, but as a second-round pick, that's pretty good numbers there. And considering there's not really an elite pass rusher in this group, Tyree Wilson maybe can develop into that, but we would agree that that's probably going to take some time. So when you look at the defensive rookie of the year odds, Jalen Carter coming in at number two, that would sting Seattle fans a little bit if he ends up going out and winning rookie of the year for the Eagles. But Devin Witherspoon coming in at fourth at plus 1,000, and Derek Hall tied for 13th in odds at plus 4,000. There's just not that elite pass rusher off the edge. So if you don't have a guy like Will Anderson or Lucas Van Ness, if you don't have one of those guys just explode with a big season and Derek Hall's able to play quite a few snaps and puts up good sack numbers for the Seahawks, he's a second-round pick that could play his way into this. So I just think that on defense, it's a much better chance that one of these players is going to be able to break through and be a finalist to win this award than on offense where the quarterback situation, I think, is the biggest looming factor that's going to prevent one of those guys from being in the mix. 
defensive rookie of the year is going to be all about situation. Which players are going to be getting more snaps? Which players are going to be put in positions, to be honest, to get stats? Because that's what the rookie of the year award normally is. It's stats. That's why a lot of times we don't see off-ball linebackers winning this award too often because they don't get sacks. They're not getting the interceptions. We see the elite pass rusher. Guys like Will Anderson is going to be very interesting. But Derek Hall coming in at number 13 with the odds as a second-round pick, that's something that really should be noted because of the whole value disparity right there. Drafted in the second round in the 40s, yet he's in number 13 in the odds for defensive rookie of the year. That's insane. That just lets you know how much stardom he potentially could have. But to me, it's the same thing on the offense end, much like Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's going to be competing with a lot of snaps. There's a lot of edge rushers on this roster already, and he's going to have to compete against each and every one of them to hold his own for snap count. And on the other hand, Witherspoon, what can you say that hasn't been said already? He's an amazing cornerback that uses his physical skill set to be able to dominate these receivers, and he gets the highlight plays. And to be honest, that's what the rookie of the year is about. You got to get your name out there. And Witherspoon gets the highlight plays that everyone wants to see. He does have a lot better of a shot than I think even they are giving him credit for. And all the talent that's around him. I think that's the other thing that's worth noting. I mean, teams are not going to be able to play keep away because Tariq Wollins on the other side. And you've got Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs' safety. Oh, and Julian Love is going to be added to the mix. Kobe Bryant, maybe Trey Brown. With all that talent in the secondary, you're not going to be able to pick as far as what part of the field you don't want to attack. Good luck with that because there's going to be talent all over the field. So there's going to be opportunities for Devin Witherspoon to make plays on the football. And he didn't always get those at Illinois because teams stayed away from him. So I do think that Witherspoon has a great opportunity here to push for this award. In fact, I would say of the four rookies we've talked about, he's probably the one that has the best chance of winning Rookie of the Year on either side of the football. Coming up next, it's Forecast Friday. We're going to start on offense with Mr. Consistency himself. Tyler Lockett will look back at his latest strong season for the Seahawks and what he might have on tap going into 2023 in a loaded Seahawks offense. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Bird Dogs. Putting it simply, Bird Dogs make you look and feel good. You won't want to take them off. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. Unlike regular shorts, Bird Dogs aren't made of a stiff, restricting cotton, keeping you comfortable year-round. And take my word for it, whether I'm heading on a road trip to cover a Seahawks game or chilling at my house preparing for a podcast, I'm always sporting Bird Dog shorts and joggers because they are extremely comfortable. Don't restrict movement while keeping a slim look. And the sweat-wicking fabric keeps me cool and dry all day long, no matter the elements. I can't recommend Bird Dogs enough. You'll want to wear them all day. Every day. Go to birddogs.com slash locked in NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked in NFL for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbett Smith. Glad to be joined as always 
for our Blue Friday edition here by my co-host, Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Lock on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Every day is we're going to continue our training camp preview on Monday, looking at the running back position. So if you're a fantasy football player, you'll want to be listening in because we're going to be talking about some potential issues that arise with Zach Charbonnet joining this backfield with Ken Walker III. There's some pros and cons to having a two-headed monster. We'll look at that on Monday's episode. You won't want to miss it. It's Forecast Friday, and as we started doing a couple weeks ago, what we are going to do now, we're going to look at a couple Seahawks veterans, review their 2022 season, and take a look at what's in store in 2023. And the first player we're going to talk about today, he truly has been a beacon of consistency. The only receiver Dallas in the NFL the last four years to have at least eight touchdown receptions, at least a thousand yards, and at least 75 receptions in each of the last four seasons. He's the only receiver that has accomplished that feat. And that's why we had the discussion about maybe Tyler Lockett having an under-the-radar Hall of Fame caliber career that he's building. And you look back at the numbers last year, even with missing a game, with a broken hand. He came back just one week later, showing off the toughness, made some big plays the last couple of games, including in the playoffs. You look at the numbers that he put up, fourth straight season with 1,000 yards. Only Steve Largent in Seahawks history has accomplished that. Eight touchdowns for the fourth straight season. Had nine of them last year. Third year, uh, third season, the last four with 80 or more receptions. I mean, what can you say, Dallas? This guy just year in, year out, puts up gaudy numbers and it shocks me that we're still sitting here and we are talking about him being one of the most underrated players in the league with numbers like that and he still can't get into the pro bowl or get all pro honors just consistency is the name of the game with Lockett always been there whenever you've needed him he's going to show up in the big game he's always going to be there the offense is clear when he does miss that game that's how impactful Lockett is to Seattle. He truly is arguably their number one receiver still, even with Metcalf. That's how good Tyler Lockett is, and I don't think people put enough respect on that. Tyler Lockett, even with Metcalf on the field, is still arguably the number one receiver on the roster. And there could be something to be said that Gino might have more trust in those contested situations for Lockett than Metcalf, and the numbers would suggest that. Yeah, for being the smaller receiver, that's always been a strength in his game. He makes difficult, contested catches, and he makes incredible receptions downfield when he's got defenders draped all over him. The over-the-shoulder catches, like the, the touchdowns that he had in New Orleans last year. I mean, we've seen it so many times that now it's not as remarkable as it used to be just because we see Tyler Lockett do this all the time emulating Willie Mays out there, even if he doesn't know who Willie Mays is. He emulates Willie Mays on the field with his ability to get those over-the-shoulder, drop-in-the-bucket throws. And the quarterbacks do a great job putting it there, but the reception part of it, extremely difficult. The toe-tapping, the theatrics along the sideline. Tyler Lockett is as good as any receiver in the NFL when it comes to those over-the-shoulder catches, being able to make the difficult catches, seeing the ball in, downfield, using the sideline and getting his feet down. He just is a master at those things. 
and year in, year out, puts up really strong numbers. Maybe he's never in the top three or four for receiving yards, but he's always over 1,000 yards, it feels like. And he's really turned into one of the most consistent offensive players in the NFL. And he's starting to shatter the Seahawks record book a little bit. Now, Steve Largent is so far ahead in so many of these categories because he's one of the greatest receivers ever to play the game. But Tyler Lockett has really made ground on large in a number of categories. And he's got a chance, Dallas, going into this 2023 season to move solely into second place in receptions and receiving yards. Brian Blades currently is in that spot for the Seahawks, but he only needs 521 yards to pass Blades. And he only needs 48 receptions to, uh, to pass Blades in those categories in franchise history and have second place all by himself behind Steve Largent. And then you better have another three or four really good seasons if you want a chance to push for Steve Largent because the numbers he put up are ridiculous, especially in the era that he played in. But my point is that Tyler Lockett's got this great chance to be able to move into second. And based on what he's done the last four years, with 1,000-plus yards each year, 75 or more receptions in three of those seasons, scoring a bunch of touchdowns. He has a chance to be able to get into that number two spot in both those categories as early as week eight or week nine with the numbers he's been putting up. So he's got a chance to continue to put his stamp on Seattle's record books. And based on what we have seen in the last half decade, Lockett almost had 1,000 yards five years ago the consistency that we've seen year in, year out. It's hard to envision, even with Jackson Smith and Jigba joining this offense, it's hard to envision him not hitting at least 75 receptions, 1,000 yards, and and being in that seven to eight touchdown range in 2023. I agree with you on that. He's been there for half a decade, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. And people could be worried about his yak going extremely down and this was the lowest of his career but a lot of that is because Lockett understands availability is the best ability and although yes he's you see him a lot of times going down even when he has grass in front of him but that's because of he wants longevity he wants to be able to be out there for his teammates so yes he might not be able to maximize each and every reception but because of that he's able to be out there for 15, 16, 17 games of the regular season, and you can rely upon him consistently because of that. But going back to Lockett as a receiver, consistently this year when defenses wanted to focus on Metcalf, they wanted to put doubles over Metcalf because Geno showed the ability to throw deep, and that's what people were initially worried about. You had Lockett on the other side who just torched defensive coordinators for putting too much emphasis on Metcalf. And that's the beauty of what the Seahawks offense was able to do under Waldron. And that's what makes it even more explosive under Waldron with Najigba now also on the roster. And let's not forget, but also great tight ends. Also, this pass game is going to be elite once again next year. And I expect Tyler Lockett to be a huge part of it, like always. Yeah, there's going to be the arguments out there that Smith and Jigba coming to town is going to take away some of the targets for Lockett. And I expect that that is going to happen to an extent. But as you mentioned, teams, they've been able to double on Lockett and Metcalf at times with their coverages because they haven't been 
fearful of any other receivers on Seattle's roster. That changes with Smith and Jigba, especially with his ability to win over the middle of the field from the slot. That is going to force defenses to adjust how they defend the Seahawks, and that creates more opportunities downfield. So I actually think Lockett, he only averaged 12.3 yards per reception last year. I expect that number is going to go up some this year because there's going to be more opportunities downfield in part because Smith and Jigba is going to attract that attention in the middle of the field as a guy that can move the chains, make tough contested catches, create some after the catch. He brings a different skill set. And I think that is going to open things up for Metcalf and Lockett. They might not make as many receptions. They might not have quite as many touchdowns. In fact, we're projecting seven, which would be the lowest total that Lockett has had in five years. But Part of that is there's only one football to go around. You've got all these weapons. I do think the touchdowns might be down, but I think the yardage will go up some and the yards per catch are going to go up some because defenses are not going to be able to put double teams on both these receivers. Otherwise, Smith and Jigba is going to kill them in the middle of the field. And then you've got the tight ends to consider as well. Year two for Geno in the starting role with Shane Waldron running this offense. It should be an even more finely tuned machine. So, if there's a guy that you can bet on is going to continue putting up big numbers, Tyler Lockett has been Mr. Consistency. He hasn't been banged up a few times, sure, but he doesn't miss many games. Dallas last year was one of the few that he's actually missed. He came back from that broken leg a few years back for the start of the next season, even though he wasn't feeling 100% at that point. It was a long-haul recovery. He is tough as nails. So this is a guy that consistently is on the field, and he puts up big numbers year in, year out. I expect that is going to continue to happen in 2023. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by Dallas Cooper. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For our everydayers out there, make sure on Monday you are tuning in, especially if you're a fantasy football enthusiast. We'll be breaking down the running back position in our latest training camp preview. And of course, continuing our 90 man countdown as well. You won't want to miss it. Let's shift from the skill position, the flashy skill positions to maybe the less sexy defensive line, but this is a player that got paid like a star. And that is Draymond Jones coming to Seahawks three years, over $50 million. One of the big catches in free agency. Seattle normally hasn't done that Dallas, but you look at the numbers that Draymond Jones put up last year. What he's done consistently as a pass rusher the last three seasons, he is one of only four defensive tackles in the NFL to have at least five and a half sacks the past three seasons. The other names, Chris Jones, DeForest Buckner, Quinn and Williams. Arguably the three best pass rushing defensive tackles in the league. Draymond Jones is in that mix with them. Those are the four defensive tackles that have done that. So that is why you pay a premium, especially for a player who's only 26 years old. That is why you pay that 50 plus million dollar premium for three years for a player who has really harassed quarterbacks and has gradually improved each of the last three years. His quarterback pressures have gone up each year. He's been in the league. So this is a guy that still looks to be an ascending player, and that's why you are paying him that kind of money. There's some projection to that. The Seahawks expect that his best football is still in front of it. He's still young and 26 years old. What is interesting is that you do pay him a lot of that money for the talent, but what makes it even better is that he is a scheme fit. The Seahawks are transitioning, or not tra- not transitioning right now, but they've been transitioning, excuse me, for the last few years to more of a Fangio-style defense 
going to a lot of bare fronts. Some 2-4-5 was brought in last season. And Draymond Jones played in all of these fronts extensively in Denver. He comes in, he's going to know exactly what he's doing, and he's going to know exactly how the scheme works, how everyone around him is going to be working. What makes Draymond Jones special, yes, that run-stop rate looks bad. It does look bad, and there's no putting it around there. The number looks bad. But when watching the film, he was asked to two-gap a lot. What you, what is interesting is Clint Hurts talked about in the offseason letting the defensive line be more aggressive and go to more of a penetrating style of attack, which is more along the lines of a one-gapping system, which is where when you saw Draymond Jones doing that, the run defense actually wasn't bad. He was shooting gaps, getting into the backfield, making plays, tackles for loss. He was a disruptor over there, and that's what the Seahawks need along the defensive line, a disruptor to make plays along the interior, especially when you have guys like Nuosu, Adams, now Witherspoon along the defense as well. You have a lot of guys that are going to be able to make, take shots at plays behind the line of scrimmage. Jeremiah Jones fits right in there with that and has that skill set just like them. Yeah, I anticipate the Seahawks are not going to be asking Draymond Jones to set anchor as a two-gap taking on double teams. They're not going to be asking him to do that a lot because, quite frankly, that is not his game. Is he capable occasionally of doing that? Yes. I don't think it's something that he is completely incapable of. But his athleticism, his ability to be a disruptor, that's why you are paying him over $50 million the next three years. If you're trying to use him in a bunch of two-gapping fronts, you're not maximizing his skill set. And unfortunately, the Seahawks have a little bit of a history with guys they bring in from other teams where they haven't maximized players' skill set. So you got to hope that in this instance that they let Draymond Jones loose, let him get after the quarterback. And I agree with you. The film I've watched, when he is able to keep a shoulder free, and he isn't taking on doubles, he isn't two-gapping. This is a guy that is a solid run defender. He is capable, but he's been very inconsistent. 7.2% run-stop rate last year, according to PFF, and that was 38th out of close to 80 qualified defensive tackles. So that's not where you would like to see that number. It was better than a lot of Seattle's defensive tackles. Puna Ford was near the bottom of that list. So he might be an upgrade in that sense, even if he is not an elite run defender. But his pass rushing ability, that is what the Seahawks are paying him for, is to really collapse the pocket, open things up for the edge rushers. They haven't had that consistent interior pass rushing presence really since Jaron Reed had that one breakout year with 10 and a half sack back in 2018. They haven't had that guy that could really get after the quarterback. And Draymond Jones has been as consistent as anybody, and yet it feels like there's some untapped potential there, especially if you're going to let him be that attacker and really penetrate gaps. And so for that reason, again, we're looking at some history here. The Seahawks have not had many defensive tackles that have eclipsed eight and a half sacks. It's only happened seven times since they became a franchise in 1976. Seven times. Draymond Jones has had at least five and a half sacks each of the last three years, six and a half being his career high. If he can push that up to eight and a half or even seven and a half, only eight defensive tackles have done that in Seahawks history. So you're looking at rare production from the interior. Seattle can get that seven and a half, eight and a half sacks. If they get double digits, he's going to join Jaron Reed, Cortez Kennedy, and John Randall is the only defensive tackle to do that in Seattle. That's pretty elite company. The Seahawks would love to see that with the money that they are paying him. 
I expect that he is going to get close to that number if he's able to stay healthy. That has been the one big detriment. That was the one thing that I was a little concerned about when they gave him that much money. He's missed a bunch of games in his career. Three of the last four years, he's played 14 or fewer games. So he hasn't had one of those major injuries where he's missed eight-plus games or anything like that. But he's had some injuries that have cost him three, four games here and there. And so there are some durability concerns. But assuming that he plays all 17 games, he's been able to get to six and a half sacks playing less than that. I feel like in this scheme with the players they've got around in Dallas, that this is a great opportunity for him to get close to double digits. I don't think he quite gets there, but I think eight and a half to nine sacks seems like a really safe projection for him in this defense if he's able to stay healthy, obviously. I agree with that because – Let's also look at the depth chart along the interior of the defensive line. It's not exactly the fullest. He's going to be getting a lot of snaps this year, and it's going to be interesting what exactly his snap share count is. Is is he going to be around 80% of snaps? Is he going to be around 75% of snaps? If he's around 85, 80 to 75% of snaps, I agree with this. Nine sacks, 56 pressures. He's a guy that is going to be a difference maker along the defensive line. What Nuosu and him can do along the defensive line is going to be collapsing the pocket. And that's why I also agree with you that he's not probably going to be at double digit sacks because of the amount of edge rushers and the amount of other guys that Seattle has. And don't forget Jamal Adams when healthy also was near the 10 sack mark, or excuse me, did break the 10 sack mark, broke the defensive back record when he was in Seattle. That's also another factor we have to look into. Draymond Jones, I expect a great season, and I expect him to be nearing these numbers for 2023. Yeah, I think the big thing is going to be watching the run stops and looking at the tackle for loss. Do you get some more disruptive plays from him against the run? Because there's been flashes, but again, he's been inconsistent in that regard. And the Seahawks are going to be hoping that coaching him up a little bit more there and and letting him do what he does. Let him be an athlete. Let him disrupt. If you allow him to do that, I do think this is a guy that can get in the double digits in tackles for a loss. I think he can be a Pro Bowl, maybe even a borderline all-pro caliber player. There have been flashes of that kind of talent, but he's missed some games. There's been inconsistency. He's still only 26. So it does feel like if you can keep him on the field, And he's going to get a lot of snaps, again, with this depth chart. He is going to be the guy. He's going to be playing a lot of snaps, and and that's what he was looking for. That's one of the reasons he loved the idea of going to Seattle is he knew, hey, I'm going to be the guy here on the Seattle defensive line. Now you need to pay up for that contract. And I think that the sack numbers are going to be there. Maybe not double digits like some fans are pushing for, but if you get nine sacks from a defensive tackle from Draymond Jones, that's a really good season. It opens the door for your other guys to get sacks rushing from the outside. Maybe some of the other interior guys are going to get their opportunities too. So as long as he can stay on the field, I like the scheme fit. I like the fact that this is still an ascending player. That's been a big difference in how Seattle has approached free agency in the last couple of years. We saw that with Nuosu last year, a guy in his mid-20s who's an ascending player will pay a little bit more money up front. Let's get a guy that's going to be a difference maker rather than a one-year stopgap on a 30-plus-year-old guy. Those moves have most of the time not worked for the Seahawks, but it seems like they've changed their priorities in free agency. They're hoping that they can get similar production from Jones as that big ticket free agent signing like they did with Nuosu last year. If they can, 
the entire rest of that defensive line and everybody behind him is going to benefit and this Seahawks defense should be much better in 2023. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Dallas at Dallas C. Cooper. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on Monday, we're going to be tackling the running back position, some fantasy implications here with the addition of Zach Charbonnet and continuing our 90-man countdown as well. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your weekend and thanks for listening. Go Hawks. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.